Hello and episode 17. Thank you as always for hitting that little triangle to get today's episode going for yourself and now it's on me. It's on me to give you what you signed up for and that's just what I'm going to try to do here as we continue to revisit some famous and maybe in some cases maybe some not so famous films from the past and the present but hey I've said it before and I will say it again. Actress Lauren Bacall once said it is not an old film if you haven't seen it. Who can argue with that one? So, here we go, diving into some fun behind-the-scenes facts and sometimes even bringing some classic dialogue to the table, like this little nugget of dialogue from one of today's two featured movies, 1985's Clue. It was Madeline Kahn who said in the film, It was a matter of life and death. Now that he's dead, I have a life. I'm your movie-loving host, Frank, and this is Silver Screeners. You may or may not be familiar with the format that has sort of evolved over the last handful of episodes or so. We'll begin with a spoiler-free plot setup of both films that we'll be talking about today. Then I'll give you a spoiler alert as we segue into the the behind-the-scenes fun facts segment. And finally, we'll cap everything off with the ongoing trivia and the online poll results. So... Hey, sit back, relax, and unless you're listening to this on a treadmill or an elliptical, in which case, don't. Just just keep at it. As we dive headfirst into the spoiler-free plot setup of both of today's featured movies, they are Clue, released in 1985, as I said, and the more recent Knives Out, released in 2019. Both holiday season releases, one of them an Oscar nominee for Best Original Screenplay and a box office hit, and the other one, more of a more of a cult favorite that landed in theaters with a resounding thud in its original theatrical run, but has gained a uh, it's sort of gained a cult following thanks to home video and late night screenings and that kind of thing. So we will begin with Clue. Clue, based on the murder mystery board game of the same name, at least here in North America, it's called Clue. It was first launched in 1949 in the UK by a company called Waddington's. It was the brainchild of Anthony E. Pratt of Birmingham, England. It was, it still is, actually, if I'm not mistaken, called Cluedo. It's been revised and updated a number of times over the decades, but it wouldn't be until 1985 when a motion picture based on the game would be released for our consumption. The story of the film was thought up by, of all people, movie director John Landis, who had helmed an American werewolf in London, Twilight Zone the movie, and the classic The Blues Brothers. It was directed by Jonathan Lynn, who was at that point most known for his his theater background and work in British TV. I think the shows that he was most famous for were Yes Minister and Yes Prime Minister. As for the company of actors from Clue, let's just say that Practically all of them are perfectly cast. Go ahead and challenge me to recast any of them, and I'm telling you, all you're gonna, all you're gonna get out of me is, nope, sorry, can't do it. Not all of them were then or now huge A-list marquee names or big, you know, box office draws, but they all come across on screen as having the time of their lives, relishing their roles, and that's what really, that's what makes it work. It's what gives the movie its energy. It's what gives it its distinctive flavor, if you know what I mean. You have Michael McKean as Mr. Green. He's famous for Laverne and Shirley. Remember Lenny and Squiggy? Uh, he was also Mr. Dittmeyer in the Brady Bunch movie. So Michael McKean, you have Eileen Brennan as the eccentric Mrs. Peacock. You have Christopher Lloyd, hot off his Back to the Future success as Professor Plum. Colleen Camp is the French maid Yvette. Martin Mull is Colonel Mustard. Leslie Ann Warren the sultry Miss Scarlet. 
the international treasure that is Tim Curry as Wadsworth the butler, and one of my favorite comedians of all time, the one, the only, give it up for Madeline Kahn as Mrs. White. She actually got her start in film in the, as, as the uh, domineering, bossy fiancé of Ryan O'Neill's character in What's Up, Doc. He's a drab drip of a guy named Howard Bannister, and she's sort of the, the controlling, you know, giving him the orders all the time and making him jump. Nobody could make up the Clue Ensemble as hysterically, as endearingly, or as eccentrically as these folks. I'm telling you that right now. As the movie opens, you have an establishing shot of a cop pulling up to a mansion. Behind the wheel is a man in a butler's uniform, and it's Wadsworth, Tim Curry. A little a title, a title card tells us that the setting is New England, 1954. So he walks up to the door of this secluded mansion, he sees two attack dogs, and he thinks he's preventing trouble by tossing them each this huge bone to distract them, but... Trouble indeed there is, because in the form of a little gift that they, let's just say, thoughtfully left on the lawn for him to step into, so he's scraping the duda off his shoes as he opens the door and goes in, and while he's doing all this, you can faintly hear the rock song Shake, Rattle, and Roll by Bill Haley and the Comets playing in the background. It's from it's playing in another room where Yvette the maid is polishing glasses and silverware. Within minutes, the doorbell rings as some dinner guests begin to show up one by one. First up is Colonel Mustard. Wadsworth greets him with the following line. He says, You may feel obligated to my employer for the use of an alias. Next up at bat is Mrs. White, who asks Wadsworth when he opens the door for her, Do you know who I am? And he answers, Only that you are to be known as Mrs. White. And she goes, Yes, it said so in the letter. So, two guests have shown up so far. Cut to outside in the rain, down the road, you have a woman, turns out to be Miss Scarlet, she's having car trouble. Professor Plum drives up to her, and he offers her a lift, and she accepts, she gets into the car, and he asks her where she's going, and she takes out a letter of her own, and she goes, Hill House, off Route 4. And he's sort of taken aback, and he goes, that's where I'm going, I got a letter like this. And they curiously look at each other in very dramatic fashion, and... In a movie that has untold fortunes of quotable dialogue, one of my first favorites is when they pull up to the mansion, Miss Scarlet and Professor Plum, a place they've never been. It's nighttime, it's raining. Professor Plum's car stops, and they say, why is the car stopped? It's frightened. And that's back at the mansion... We meet Mrs. Peacock and then Mr. Green at the door. All of the guests are now there, and Wadsworth, he gets right down to business, and he says to them all, and I quote, Of course, since you've each been addressed by a pseudonym, you'll have realized that nobody here is being addressed by their real name. So, we don't know any of their real names. We only know them by the names of the names that, they, that we have in the, in the board game. So you have Mrs. White and Miss Scarlet, Professor Plum, Colonel Mustard, Mr. Green. You have all of them. And there's uncertainty in the air, and the tension, it's getting thicker and thicker, and the trance is broken by the dinner gong, and Wadsworth ushers him into the dining room, where there's another great line between him and Colonel Mustard. Mustard sees an empty seat at the head of the table, and he asks, oh, is that place for you? And Wadsworth replies, indeed, no, sir, I'm merely a humble butler. Oh, what exactly do you do? I buttle, sir. They all sit, they begin eating their soup, Mrs. Peacock, she tries to get pleasant conversation going, nobody else is really having it. She cheerfully talks all of this 
drivel and she talks about how delicious the soup is and and then she says we're not supposed to say who we really have though heavens to betsy i can't understand why and that's when wadsworth drops the bombshell and this bombshell is what sets everything in motion ominous music begins to play he he lets a man by the name of mr body into the dining room wadsworth takes out a letter of his own and he reads to everybody there it will be to your advantage to be present on this date because a mr body will bring an end to certain confidential and painful financial liability signed a friend and so he turns on the sinister and he turns to everybody and he says you all have one thing in common you're all being blackmailed for some considerable time all of you have been paying what you can afford and in some cases more than you can afford to someone who threatens to expose you and none of you know who's blackmailing you do you and I have to stop there because there is not a snowball's chance in hell that I would even consider giving away any of the plot twists or the, the directions that the story goes in, who these characters are. All I can tell you is this. Just enjoy them. Rent this puppy. Download it. Stream it. Do whatever it takes to get this onto your viewing queue if you like a good comedy, a good parody. The whole thing is just pure farce. It refuses to take itself seriously. And you will be the life of the next movie theme party you go to if you walk up to your host and say these seven words. Flames on the side of my face. Just And now is the time to pivot towards today's other featured film, and that is another murder mystery comedy. This one came out 34 years later, 2019. And that's Knives Out, written and directed by Ryan Johnson, starring another superb ensemble cast, including Daniel Craig as Detective Benoit Blanc, Anna Amis, Chris Evans, Jamie Lee Curtis, Michael Shannon, Tony Collette, Don Johnson, Catherine Langford, Lakeith Stanfield, and the solid, the great, the late Christopher Plummer. Like Clue, Knives Out is... I'll say a feast for the ears with its dialogue, great chemistry in the cast, but unlike Clue, which is campy and you know very much a farce, like I said, in the best possible sense of the term, the humor in Knives Out is more situational. It's more from the characters and the scenarios that they get caught up in. It doesn't make it any less enjoyable. It's just a different kind of humor, a different, a different brand of comedy. But I do want to add that what, make, what makes Knives Out especially fun for me to watch, is the fact that it was filmed in and around Massachusetts, where I live, including a handful of towns surrounding me, including the same town I work in. So every day I go to work, and it's like, yep, the Knives Out crew is here. The mansion, the mansion that was that was partially used is in the town next to me, about 10 minutes away down the street. I've been inside of it. It's about five or six years ago now. They had a screening of the family movie Hocus Pocus at Halloween time. Took my kids to that. So the mansion is is just it's just a great place to drive a great place for hikes so like clue knives out begins with a shot of two dogs on the grounds of a mansion at nighttime these two dogs they run towards the camera off to the side where according to the dvd commentary they apparently ran right into the waiting arms of their trainer probably gave them a little delectable for successfully getting the shot that johnson was after we then have a character named fran played by actor and writer and comedian Edie Patterson, Fran. She's putting together a tray of what looks like croissants and coffee and such at breakfast, and she brings it to the bedroom of Harlan Thromby, played by Christopher Plummer. She walks into his room, sees that he's dead, his throat is cut, 
She drops the tray and she screams and knives out as off to the races. So after this opening, we get a series of flashbacks and intercuts as Benoit Blanc, Daniel Craig, he's the detective. He begins interrogating the cast of characters. They're all suspects for one reason or another. The now deceased Thromby has a son, Walt, played by Michael Shannon. He has a daughter, Joni, played by Tony Collette. Joni has a college-age daughter of her own, Meg, played by Catherine Langford. You may remember her from Love, Simon. And he also has a daughter named Linda, who is Jamie Lee Curtis. Linda is married to a guy named Richard, played by Don Johnson. They have a son, Ransom, played by Chris Evans. So the whole interrogation sequence plays out really well, I think, in terms of pacing and writing. Even though Ryan Johnson himself, he admitted in the DVD commentary that it was a pretty tough thing to read in the screenplay, to, to read on the page. So I guess it took up the first, I think he said, 30 pages or so of the script. But it's a great way to hook us in, introducing us to all these characters, all of the idiosyncrasies. And through these flashbacks and these intercuts, we find out that loyalty, loyalty does not necessarily run in this screwed-up family's bloodline. I really can't say much beyond this point. Not if I want to be a nice guy and have any hope of you keeping coming back to this podcast. So, no spoilers yet. <laughs> if you have seen these movies, keep listening. If you have not, feel free to keep listening anyway, because now it is time for the friendly spoiler warning. Like I say every time, proceed from here at your own discretion, because from this point on, details from both movies, including plot spoilers, the endings, they're all going to come fast and furious. So, final warnings, spoiler alert. And like I also say every time, if you're hitting pause, certainly go watch the movies. Hope you enjoy. Save me some popcorn. Pretty please. Do not forget to come back afterwards to savor the goodness that's about to begin in the form of each movie's top 10 fun facts. So first up, Clue. We'll do Clue first. We'll go in order of release because what the hell. So number 10, the first casting could have been for Clue. Did you know that the late Carrie Fisher was all signed on and confirmed to play the role of Miss Scarlet. Unfortunately, she had a dropout just before production began, like days before it began. She had just entered rehab, and at first they were hoping that she could balance both the rehab program and this particular acting job, but the studios weren't willing to pay for the insurance in case anything were to happen. So she ended up losing the role, and that's when Leslie Ann Warren stepped in as a last-minute replacement. Fun fact number nine, the second casting could have been, did you know that Tim Curry, as unbelievable as it may seem, he was not the first choice for the role of Wadsworth the butler. As sacrilegious as that is, it's true. Now, how's about picturing this? Rowan Atkinson, the British comedian behind Black Adder. The studio said no. John Cleese of Monty Python and Faulty Towers fame. He was in the running too. But ultimately, and thankfully, Tim Curry, he secured the role which he would go on to say was one of his favorites in his acting career. Number eight. The third casting could have been the role of Yvette the Maid. In the running for that role was Madonna, Demi Moore, and Jennifer Jason Lee. Colleen Camp, though, she landed the gig when she showed up at her audition. She was wearing a rented maid's uniform. She was cast over the others. Number seven. Cool fact about a cast member who did happen, Lee Ving. He plays the ill-fated Mr. Body, a small but pivotal role. 
He is also the frontman of the L.A. punk band Fear. Okay, now, when you get the chance, go onto YouTube and just type in the, just search for Fear, F-E-A-R, Beef Baloney, SNL, Live. You will get a five-minute video of this punk band, Fear, performing as the musical guest on SNL in a Halloween episode in October of 1981. So Fear is performing. At their feet, you'll see mosh pits, slam dancing, stage diving, a memorable live performance on TV. It resulted in some clubs actually banning Fear from performing at their venues afterwards. The SNL host that week, who introduced them as they begin their set, you see him at the beginning of the YouTube clip, you know, ladies and gentlemen, fear, Donald Pleasance, Dr. Loomis from the Halloween movies. It was a Halloween episode, so it fits. I'm assuming he was hosting to promote Halloween 2, which came out that year, so that's my guess. And to bring this back full circle to Clue, who produced Halloween 1 and 2, starring Donald Pleasance? Deborah Hill. What else did Deborah Hill produce in her career? Clue. Who'd have thunk it? Number six. Okay. Now you got to stay with me for this one. Okay. This one gets a little complicated. (laughs) John Landis. John Landis. uh, He was originally going to direct Clue. He came up with a story. He was originally going to direct it. Ultimately, he decided uh, instead to go and direct Spies Like Us, a comedy with Dan Aykroyd and Chevy Chase and Donna Dixon. So, because he chose Spies Like Us over Clue, he personally recommended Jonathan Lynn for the directing gig. And as for writing the screenplay, John Landis went to Tom Stoppard, who pocketed the check, tried like hell to get something down on paper, gave up, returned the check, and quit. So then, Landis went to musical theater icon Stephen Sondheim. Yeah, that's Stephen Sondheim, who did Into the Woods, and believe me... Anthony Perkins, Norman Bates from Psycho, he went to Stephen Sondheim and Anthony Perkins because the two of them apparently co-wrote the screenplay for a 1973 movie called The Last of Sheila. And no, I've never heard or seen it or heard of it before either. Both turned down the offer to pen the screenplay for Clue. Fun fact number five. Speaking of director Jonathan Lynn, he chose 1954 for the setting of the movie. In order to have the movie have the the look and the feel of Hollywood's so-called golden age, he modeled the fast-paced dialogue delivery after the rapid-fire banter that you have in the classic 1940, is it 40 or 41? I think it's 40, uh, the classic comedy His Girl Friday with Cary Grant and Rosalind Russell. That's a film that is in the record books because of its frenetic energy, how many words of dialogue per minute, the fast talking, the the characters basically spazzing out all over little things. You can catch His Girl Friday, by the way, anywhere online that you want to, because guess what? It is in the public domain. And Jonathan Lynn, who directed Clue, he had the cast watch His Girl Friday so that they could have a good feel for the, the kind of tone and delivery that he was looking for. Fun fact number four, the characters, they all drive cars that correspond with their names. Professor Plum, for example, he drives a plum-colored car. Miss Skylet's broken-down vehicle on the road at the beginning, hers is red. Mrs. Peacock's is blue, and even Colonel Mustard's is is yellow. So, um, anyway, moving along to number three. In 2011, at the San Diego Comic-Con, Steve Franks, the creator of the mystery comedy show Psych, the series Psych, 
He's a big fan of Clue. He was entertaining the idea of having an episode of Psych be sort of a tribute to, to the movie, to Clue. He wasn't sure, though, if the fan base of Psych would be familiar with Clue. So what he decided to do to sort of, you know, sort of feel it out, he ran the idea by the crowd at the San Diego Comic-Con in 2011. He got an overwhelmingly positive response. And so he said, okay, I guess I got to do this now. So the 100th episode of Psych, look it up on IMDb, it is called 100 Clues. You have a group of people as murder suspects inside a mansion, multiple endings, just like the movie. The episode aired in 2013, and by the way, guest appearances on this episode include original movie cast members Christopher Lloyd, Martin Mull, and Leslie Ann Warren. And it's dedicated to Madeline Kahn, who died in 1999 of cancer. Fun fact number two, speaking of Madeline Kahn, she delivered what, for me anyway, is the most memorable monologue in the film when she speaks of how much she hates the French maid Yvette. You know the line if you've seen this movie, flames, flames on the side of my face, heaving breath, that one. That was all improvised. All that the script said was, I hated her so much I wanted to kill her. According to Michael McKean, she did it in she did it three to four times, and he said that each time was funnier than the last. And finally, fun fact number one for Clue, it was released December 13th, 1985, and promptly became one of the biggest box office bombs of that holiday season. It was made in a budget of $15 million. Guess how much it grossed? Three million in its initial run. It lost twelve million dollars. I mean, that had to have hurt. Of course, it's been accumulating more and more fans each generation. It's gotten a lot of accolades in the years since. But when it first came out, what movies trounced it at the box office? Oh, the likes of Rocky Four, The Jewel of the Nile, The Color Purple, and the movie that John Landis chose to direct over Clue: Spies Like Us. You've heard that a remake of Clue is in pre-production. As of right now, Jason Bateman is attached to direct it, and Ryan Reynolds, he has signed on to star in it. So there you go. But we're not through yet, because we got to give equal time to Knives Out. Fun fact number 10 for Knives Out. Writer-director Ryan Johnson's cousin Nathan composed the musical score. He's done the music for practically all of Ryan Johnson's films, with the exception, of course, of... 2017's The Last Jedi, and this one, the one for Knives Out, is his first orchestral score. He recorded the orchestra playing the score at Abbey Road in London. Fun fact number nine, continuing with the theme of the movie being a family affair, his cousin Nathan, Nathan had a brother Zach, Zach is a painter, Zach provides all of the individual portraits of the cast members that are used in the film's closing credits. Number eight, the names of the characters of the Thromby, fa- the Thromby family and their spouses. I love this. All of the character, or most of the characters' names were taken from different rock stars. Tony Collette's character's name is Joni, Joni Mitchell. Her ex-husband, Neil, Neil Young. Don Johnson and Jamie Lee Curtis, they play Richard and Linda. Richard and Linda Thompson. Walt and Donald. Walter Becker and Donald Fagan from Steely Dan. Number seven, Kay Callan. She plays the great Nana. She plays Christopher Plummer's mother in the film. So she's all, you know, made up to be, you know, rather up there in age. She was actually, she, in real life, years younger than he was. 
two hours of makeup every single a.m., including weather cover days. And in case you're not sure what a weather cover day is, it's movie making speak. It's last minute changes of a schedule and the shooting of a film because of inclement weather. So like shooting an interior scene instead of the last minute when you were originally going to shoot something outdoors because you have a rainstorm or thunder or snow or something. So she would wake up on days that she was not in the schedule to find out whether or not she'd be working. So two hours in the makeup chair to age her. Number six. The painting of Holland Thrombley featured throughout the film. That painting was not finished until after principal photography was done. So how did they get it in the film? It was green screened in for every shot where you see it. Number five, around the 54 minute mark of the film, Daniel Craig puts his fingers in his mouth to whistle loudly, but in real life, he cannot whistle to save his life. So his bodyguard, Mike, did it three feet to the left of the camera, and he did it live. It was not dubbed in. Number four, earlier drafts of the script had a hell of a lot more F-bombs in it than the final draft. But then Ryan Johnson thought to himself, and this is from the DVD commentary, he said to himself, hey, what, what am I doing? I want this to be a fun movie that you can go to with your family. So what he did was he took all of that harsh language out in order to get the PG-13 rating. That didn't quite do it at first for the Motion Picture Association of America, the MPAA. This is the, in America anyway, this is the, uh, I don't know if it's technically a censorship board. They just slap the ratings in a film to determine, you know, a, you know appropriate ages. But uh, they did not go for the PG-13 rating at first, even with the, lang even with the language tempered down, uh, because of the scene, if you recall, where he cuts his own throat. The throat slit originally was going to have a splash of blood flying out towards the audience, towards the camera, and that got the dreaded R rating slapped onto the film, so he had to cut it back to be more the power of suggestion. So if you go back and take a look at that moment, what we really do have is not so much a moment of graphic violence, we instead have a reaction shot of Ana de Armas, the, you know, Marta, his caretaker. So... She benefited from this change by getting a great acting moment in the form of a close-up. Number three. Did you recognize the lawyer who was reading off the will? That is Frank Oz, the director of Muppets Take Manhattan, Little Shop of Horrors with Rick Moranis, Dirty Rotten Scoundrels with Michael Caine and Steve Martin, and, of course, he's also the voice of Fozzie Bear. He's the voice of Miss Piggy. And he's the voice of Yoda, which means that writer-director Ryan Johnson and Frank Oz had a nice little reunion from their time working together on Star Wars The Last Jedi two years earlier. Fun fact number two. Once the will is read and it turns out that everything goes to Marta and the whole family freaks out, remember the character Jacob? He's the 15, 16-year-old who's a conspiracy theorist. He's always on his phone. Actor, the actor who played him, Jaden Martel, uh, he is, you know, along with everybody else, they're all screaming at her as she's backing out of the room and going outside and making her way towards her, towards her car. At one point, we have a close-up of him, and he is hollering at her the line, You had sex with my granddad, you anchor baby. That line was improvised. It had originally gotten lost in the shuffle in one of the first takes, you know, in the middle of all of the shouting. But Michael Shannon 
Michael Shannon, he picked up on it and he thought it was great. So, you know, you got to love Michael Shannon. He went right over to Ryan Johnson and said to him, you got to get a close up because he came up with something great. So then when they went back and they did another take, Johnson focused on it and a close up ended a close up ended up in the final print of the film. And fun fact number one, this one is not really, I don't want to call this one really a fun fact. I'll call it an interesting one, but fun, I don't know about that one. You'll understand why in a second. Uh, remember the scene when Chris Evans, he takes Anna de Armas to the, to the bar and grill, and he puts an empty bowl in front of her in order to interrogate her? If you recall, the running gag in the film is that she, anytime she tells a lie, she throws up. So he puts a bowl in front of her and demands to know the truth about what's going on, about, you know, what happened to his, uh, to his grandfather. So he knows she throws up when she lies. And so here she is with the bowl in front of her. And so she's kind of stuck. That whole scene was filmed inside an actual restaurant in the town of Berlin, Massachusetts, which is about 29 miles west of Boston. It's just outside of Worcester. And the name of the actual place, the place was called the Flat Penny Bar and Grill. It got its name because it's right next to railroad tracks. You know, put a penny on a railroad track, the train flattens it. The Flat Penny, uh, the Flat Penny Bar and Grill. In May of 2020, this was about six months after the movie came out. It was already out on DVD by this point. In real life, in May of 2020, the owner of this place was among the first to be officially charged in the United States with filing fraudulently for COVID-19 financial relief. So as it turns out, these loan applications were basically, you know, it's bank fraud because the restaurant was apparently already closed before the pandemic began. There were no employees on a payroll. So like Chris Evans tells Daniel Craig at the end of the movie, that's stupid with two O's. To be honest with you, I can actually think of lots more to say about that situation beyond stupid, but I'm not going to go there. Uh, The place is now under new ownership. It's renamed On The Tracks, T-R-A-X, and it still has the photo of Chris Evans sitting in the booth on its walls with his autograph. All right, time to head over to the final segment of the show, Trivia Time. And it is worth it to reiterate that it does not matter in the slightest when you listen to an episode. Answer the trivia question of any episode, anytime, anywhere. There is no due date or cutoff time. If this is the first time you're listening, you can respond to the trivia question from episode two or three or four or whatever. I will send the personalized memes however you reach out to me. If you emailed me your response, I'll simply respond to that email with the meme and a and a friendly greeting. If you put it out there on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram, any of the socials, that's where I'll respond. Interaction is what it's all about, so please do not be shy. Just have fun with it. And you know what? If you get the question wrong, who cares? You'll get the meme and the shout-out anyway in the next episode. Win-win, right? So, last time we mentioned Michael Douglas and his Oscar victory for Best Leading Actor of 1987. This was the same year that Fatal Attraction came out, the movie, one of the two movies that I covered last time. The question was, what, what film, what film did he win his acting Oscar for? And the answer is... Wall Street, co-starring Martin Sheen and Charlie Sheen, directed by Oliver Stone. And there are three shout-outs to give. First, 
to Jamie Ty, who sent her answer in via Facebook. She's actually going to be a guest on this show with her brother Eric very soon. They are both big fans of the Halloween franchise like I am, and we'll be breaking down that series and speculating about the upcoming Halloween kills. So looking forward to talking about all of that with you both, Jamie and Eric. Hello. And like last time, there is also not one, but two return winners. First, we have Mary C. Great to hear from you again, Mary. Thank you for listening. Thank you for playing. Thank you for being part of Silver Screeners, the Facebook group, as well as the podcast. Always appreciate your feedback. And the second return winner, Davy A. from the podcast Davy A's. I'll give that 10 minutes. He talks about toys and games, movies, TV, music, 80s nostalgia, a great variety of topics, really. Check his show out. I'm excited to be guesting on it very soon. So congratulations to all three of you. Your memes are on their way. And here is this week's trivia question. I mentioned already how Madeline Kahn is one of my personal favorite comedians. She is Mrs. White in Clue. She was also a regular in a lot of the comedy movies made by what... Emmy-winning, Grammy-winning, Oscar-winning, Tony-winning legend. They call that the EGOT, if you have won all of the major show business awards. EGOT. E for Emmy, G for Grammy, O for Oscar, T for Tony. Some of the movies that she has done uh, for this legend include Young Frankenstein, Blazing Saddles, History of the World Part 1. Name this comedy legend behind behind these movies that she appeared in. Send your answers on over, and as always... If you have any follow-up questions, if you have any comments, thoughts of your own on Knives Out or Clue or any movie that I have or have not yet talked about, if you have any requests for a particular movie that you want to learn more about, hit me up in my socials. On Twitter, you'll find me at FilmBuff1974. On Facebook, I have a public film group called Silver Screeners. Go ahead and join. Go ahead and post. On Instagram, you'll find me at FrankMendoza1974. And you can also email me at frankmendoza at yahoo.com. And as I said last time, just be sure that you do spell my last name correctly with an A and an S. It is Mendoza, not Mendoza. And thank you to everyone who voted in the poll for which film was more your bag, by the way. I tallied up everything from Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. I said, hey, which works better for you, Clue or Knives Out? And... The favorite flick apparently is by a single vote. You ready? Clue. <laughs> Clue. There were some there was some great feedback as well. I mentioned in a previous episode, for example, a listener, Jason Ebbs, and his music that you gotta check out on Spotify and Apple and YouTube and SoundCloud. He voted for Knives Out and he included an icon of a knife in his response, which was a great touch. Much obliged, Jason. Gail I actually said that she is undecided. What she said was, I really can't choose. They're both so well done. Most definitely a fair assessment. Uh, Jean Marie went for Clue, and she added, it just has everything, though much respect to Knives Out. Sean E. says, love Knives Out. Excellent film. And both Jean Marie and Sean in the past Both of you, you've come to my film talks, both in person and over Zoom at different places over the years. Thank you both for putting up with me. (laughs) Charles K. offers, Clue is great. Knives out, I found to be awful. Hey, fair enough. Nothing to lose and everything to gain from hearing different opinions. So, honestly, thank you, Charles. And two special shout-outs. One to Christina R. She mentioned in my Facebook group, 
1976 film Murder by Death, saying we have to add this one to the pile. And I have to admit, I have not seen that one, but it is on my queue now, thanks to your recommendation, Christina. So, thank you. <laughs> and a heartfelt mea culpa and an I am sorry, kind of sorry, sort of, not, not really sorry, uh, <laughs> to my sister-in-law, Liz M., who on Instagram bitterly lamented, how dare you make me choose? <laughs> like I said to you already, Liz, sorry, but somebody's got to be the bad guy here. And having said that, I now have the feeling that I'm going to be relegated to the kid table next time we visit. But uh, like I said, it's all good. Thank you for all your contributions. I love this engagement, and I would love to keep hearing from all of you because, again, interaction with people, listeners, fellow podcasters, movie fans, that's what it's all about. And that wraps up episode 17. Thank you again for listening. Be sure to hit that subscribe button if you haven't already. And if you could take a second to give this show a rating on Apple or iTunes or Good Pods or Spotify, Podchaser, wherever you listen to your podcasts, it really does help to increase the show's visibility and it does boost the algorithms. And if you want to leave a quick review of Silver Screeners, I certainly will not complain. Hopefully it's a good one. Thank you for joining. Rock on. Keep your eyes open for the poll for the next episode. And as always, I am Frank. And until next time, keep on screening. I'll see ya.